You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Thank you for joining us on the Batuta Advocate radio show, recording live here from Desert Rock FM studios in Outback Queensland, Channel Country. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and today in this interview, I will be sparring alongside Wendell Hussey, the Eternal Cadet. Thank you for joining us, Wendell. We are very excited because today we're interviewing, a, a, I guess, a hero to many Australians, certainly to many Poms. His name is Jimmy Carr. He's a red-hot comic from up there in the... Uh, in what is now a very, very hot place, but usually quite a cold and windy place uh, known as England. I'm just looking at his tour dates. He's he's doing a fuckload of towns and towns that not many Australian comedians get to. You know what, though? I hate it when people do that thing of going, oh, I'm going on tour to Australia. And you say, oh, where are you going? And they say, Melbourne and Sydney. And you go, really, <laughs> motherfucker? Really? You think that's it? You think you haven't seen shit? You haven't seen anything? It's kind of frustrating, that thing of, because I think if you put the work in, people will come. It's also, I reckon it might be good for the environment. I mean, I've got a carbon footprint, like a fucking fracking Wookiee, but I reckon it might be better for the environment that I go to them rather than a thousand people from Wollongong having to travel to see me. That's a fair point. Do you spend much time in vans or are you doing little domestics? What's going on? It sounds like we've got you now in a car. Yeah, I'm in a car. I'm on the way back from Scarborough. To London. Yeah, I just did a gig on the way home, as is, that's, that's the life for me, man, the road. There'll be very few vans, I'd say, in Australia. I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, with the geography of your fine nation, but it's fucking massive. It's kind of comically big, Australia, and all the population are clinging to the coast for dear life. Like, don't wander away from the sea, boy. Yeah, it is funny. If you look at London and Paris, and they're all inland because they were once upon a time worried about Vikings. But Australians, you know, post settlement, we just live on the coast, and then we start complaining when the Japanese manage to get a few torpedoes into our toilets. Yeah, you've you've got your own problems, I'm sure, but I don't think there's an imminent attack, guys. I think we can relax. So you won't be spending twelve to thirteen hours travelling between regional centres and cities for your gigs for your tour next year. I don't know. If, I mean, if I do, I'll be listening to your podcast, I feel sure. But no, I'll be flying around the place. <laughs> I mean, basically, I've got two shows a night for three months. Yeah. I'm playing everywhere in Australia. And it sold, I don't know what we did, it was something like 120,000 tickets on the first day. Yeah. Like, we sold way more tickets than we thought, which I think is partly like your ego could let you think, oh, well, I'm a pretty big deal in Australia. I think people just want to get out of the house. I think they've had two years of COVID and lockdowns and more lockdowns, and they go, right. Someone's coming in the summertime. We're going. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going out. We're going to have a laugh. I think I could turn up without the jokes and I'd have a laugh anyway. People are just desperate to be out and part of something. Yeah, it's it's interesting how you're on this podcast with us, and we, we get some big guests from time to time. I think the biggest uh, we've had from your country, and I say your country because I'm talking about your ancestry, but we have uh, had Bob Geldof. I think that's our biggest scalp so far. Bob's, uh, He's a proper big deal. Yeah, he's an Irishman uh, via London, and he he had an album to sell, which made sense. You don't seem to have a show to sell. You're just bored in the back of a car right now. Is that what's happening? No, we put on. I put on another sixty thousand tickets this week. So I, I was gonna. What I was gonna do is go to Australia and then fly home to see the family and then go to Australia again. And I've decided I'm not going to bother going home. Yeah, right. It's too good. I'll stay put and avoid the jet lag. It's a win-win for me. I'll stick around and do more shows. So we put in extra dates in all the big territories just because 
you know, if people want to come and see a show, I'm the enemy of the scalper. Yeah. I'm the enemy of their ticket sale. I'm, I, I'll put on more shows. I'll do more. <laughs> so, Jimmy, Thursday night in somewhere like Mandurah over in Western Australia, after shows, before shows, are you getting out? Are you seeing the little towns? Are you getting to a takeaway shop, getting a coffee, having a beer? Or? I, like, I like a little drink after the show. I like a little, uh, little unwind. I mean, not every night because I think, I think that would be – I'd be yeah. an alcoholic because I work every night. But I like going out a couple of times a week and uh, – I, like you meet interesting people, you go to town, especially when I'm I'm kind of based in Melbourne and Sydney for like, you know, it's going to be like two weeks in each of them. Mm-hmm. And I'll definitely, you know, find my places and go. And I've got my places that I like going in those towns. I like the, the you know, in Sydney, like the grounds of Alexandria that do a great cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. And that's appropriate because just a heads up, you can't actually go out anywhere at night in Sydney after about 10 or 11 p.m. They've got all these lockout laws and mm. these strange regulations. They try and keep you indoors. Yeah, what's, what's they had a little bit of What's going on with that? Well, America has gun crime and Australia has alcohol fueled coward punches, they call them. That was a weird thing like five years ago, right? Presumably that was, I mean, it was isolated cases, but. You need to shut down a city for that. It was more of a property play. It just shut down all the noisy nightclubs. That are really close to the water in the inner city and quite good for property investors. You're calling bullshit on the whole thing, right? Absolutely. (laughs) But don't worry, because the pandemic humbled everyone involved in that conspiracy. So uh, you can shut down the nightclubs for the property or you can uh, shut down every business for the virus. And I, I think Sydney's learned its lesson. You'll see this. Everyone's taken a few knocks. I'm sure they have more so in your country. But Melbourne in particular is going to be an interesting one for you. They are deranged. They did 300 days in lockdown. 300 days? Yeah. Jesus, no wonder they're buying tickets. I yeah. mean, it's just that thing. Because I, I slightly think you get the – I mean, I would say this because I'm selling tickets. But I think you get the benefit from a comedy show twice. Like when you go to the show and you have a laugh, great. That's a very fun night, obviously. But when you buy the ticket and put it on the fridge or the notice board and go, oh, we're going to go to that. It's kind of that thing of it's very nice to have that intention to go out and fucking laugh. Yeah. I think it is an interesting thing that I want to kind of talk to you about because you you have this sense of humor that obviously translates to Australia so well. And I think it's because you're um, a smart ass and you the roast master. Once upon a time, I would have loved to have played cricket with you, Jimmy Carr. I would have loved to see the niggle. How do you handle yourself on the pebbles? With a microphone, you're one of the most dangerous men in the room. How do you go in a pub environment? Are you one of those guys who can avoid physical confrontation just purely through the venom of your words? I'm pretty good, I would say. I've touched words. People have got a lot of respect for it as well. Like, I very rarely get hassled, but if I do, I've got the goods to mm-hmm. I will eviscerate them verbally, <laughs> and then it's kind of fine. It's also it's that thing of like it's losing face as mm-hmm. well, because it's that weird thing as well where if someone can't take a joke, it's the worst thing you could say about an Australian, right? Yeah. I guy can't say, same as British, the guy can't take a joke. So if you say something and it's terrible and taking the piss out of them and everyone laughs, then if they hit you, they just look like a fucking tool. Yeah, so, it's even worse. Yeah, I mean, if you say something that's just rude and doesn't have a funny edge to it, then you might be in trouble. But, I mean, I would say I've still got all my own teeth, but I don't. I haven't replaced for, for shinier ones. But, yeah, <laughs> that's show business, baby. Yeah, the veneers, mate. The veneers. Have there been any instances yeah. at uh, licensed establishments or out and about where someone has eviscerated you back, where you just hit one and the yeah. crowd the crowd starts laughing around you and you're like, well, that was yeah. pretty good. Has Darth Vader seen a young Jedi pull his own lightsaber out? 
a gig that happens all the time. You wouldn't believe the frequency. Because I actively encourage people heckling and joining in, right? Mm. I love it. So when people join in, like sometimes the guy, I mean, it, it, they tend not to translate to stories. It tends to be someone shouted something that relates to that night and that special thing that was going on in that room at that time. But often when the heckler shouts something funny, what they don't seem to realize is they don't get a cut of the take. I still get paid. As long as people are laughing, I don't give a fuck who said the funny thing. I'm like, like, you go, yeah, I, I got 300 lines in and the audience got one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like those figures. Mm. And I love it when it happens as well. That thing is like, I've got a weird laugh at the best of times. Kind of a weird any laugh. Yeah. And I love the fact that sometimes people genuinely make me, like, what do I have in common with my audience? Really, when, when people come and see me in Western Australia, right, what do we have in common? Right. We just share a sense of humor, mm-hmm. and that's enough. It's like we, we share that thing. So I don't have a monopoly on being funny. I'm doing a thing on this tour where I'm getting people to text me as well. Oh, right. So it's not just heckles, but they text me, and they can text me anything at all. What, that- you know, birthdays, anniversaries, whatever. But it's a great way to start the conversation with people. So the end of the show turns into a fucking bun fight. It's great. Jimmy, there's a level of respect for you kind of universally because you've been able to maintain – your expertise in the dark arts in a changing climate. And I guess, you know, we're not talking politics here, but, you know, after a certain number of kind of people got elected around the world, everyone started pearl clutching a lot more. And that is something that would affect your industry more than most. Do you manage to not be one of those people that says you can't say anything anymore? In fact, you've almost doubled down. Yeah, I've I've doubled down. I mean, I, I do what I do. Here's the thing. The joke that ends my career... I've already told it. Yep. It's out there on Netflix or YouTube somewhere, and there's nothing I can do about it now, so we might as well have a fucking laugh. It's yep. like, yep. it's the old proverb, right? If you're going to steal a sheep, you might as well fuck it. Yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of people, and I feel like it's a big thing in Australia, and it's usually a sign of when you've fallen off, is that you're saying that the landscape's not allowing you to be funny? Here's the truth. You can laugh about anything, but not with anybody. Yeah. Right? That's the truth of it. So with the audience that come and see my shows, bulletproof like absolutely fine and you'll test the boundaries and you'll push it as far as you can and that's really fun and transgressive to do but you know some people are very sensitive souls and i'm not for everyone i'm a pretty strong flavor Mm -hmm. but like the idea that i would change my show to please people that aren't at the show (laughs) that's madness isn't it it's mad there is something I want to ask you. Do you have to taper it a little bit geographically? Ignore the sensibilities, because obviously all the people that are coming to see you have a deep, deep desire for your strong flavor. But do you figure out that there are a few cultural kind of uh, nuances that don't land in a country town full of coal miners? Like that sheep joke, potentially, just there in New Zealand? Uh, you, you don't know that sheep. She's very special to me. Um, yeah, that was, that was my favorite joke about sheep that I ever did was the... Um, I had a friend at college that was from New Zealand and I asked him how many sexual partners he'd had in his life and he started to count and he fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's good. Throw him over the fence. (laughs) The the wonderful thing about being a stand-up and travel, I I do maybe 40 countries on the tour, right? And the wonderful thing is, from my perspective, it's very one world. Mm -hmm. You go, oh, the world gets each other than something with a very specific cultural reference. Like, the world gets jokes. And they get the same jokes everywhere. And it makes you feel like the world's a very small place. Like you travel vast distances and people are laughing at the same shit because we're all just human beings. It's nice. You know, I I always say it like PC at a comedy show is health and safety at a rodeo. You don't need it. Yeah. Look, 
we have an understanding of poms. You know, that, that's what you would constitute as much as you hate that. You're a prisoner of Her Majesty. I know we started out that way, but you remain there. And there's a thing where Australians have an idea of what an Englishman is. It's probably informed by world sport and maybe a bit of the BBC that we used to get on the TV. But we hear someone like you and we, we don't actually think that we have anything in common. You have uh, a, quite a London accent. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to learn that you actually identify as an Irishman. Were you raised Irish? Were you in an immigrant household? Uh, yeah, an immigrant household. But I was, I was like, uh, you know, born in Britain, but like first generation English. So, I mean, my accent is really a product of my... I mean, I'm educated way beyond my intellect is the truth yeah. of it. But yeah. I did well at school. Yeah, I was raised by Irish immigrants and eh, pretty poor or whatever. But that thing of like feeling other, I think, is quite important for comedians. Yep. When you, you know, you if you have comments on the show, I'll give you the quick York note. Here's how to do interviews with comedians. Ask them why they didn't think they belonged, because none of us think we belong. We somehow, <laughs> you know, the best quote, is my friend Alan Havey said it, comedians, we're out for ourselves, but in it together. Yeah. We're all kind of weirdly lone wolf. I mean, get on with other comics, but we're all kind of a bit lone wolf. There's something a bit weird about that. And then if you're interviewing comedians, ask them which one of their parents was sick. Yep. Pretty much. It's not a universal, but most comics, one of their parents had either a mental or physical problem, and they had to make things okay within the house. And then that becomes like something that your, your, your personality is kind of built around making people laugh and making people feel better. That's one thing I wanted. You're now a statesman of this kind of industry. How do you deal with the young talent? Because I know you're occasionally going to do, you know, you're going to go back down there into those rooms and, you know, do something a bit grimy just to know that the streets still love you. I've still got love for the streets. <laughs> hey, you thought I forgot about Dre. I've never forgot about Dre. God, I haven't seen Dre in ages. Um, the, uh, no, I mean... When I meet young comedians, I tell them, I say, I say, read the Bible for two hours a day. That's really the, the, the key thing. It doesn't stop them, but it slows them down. I mean, I've seen it in action. I've seen, like, the young hot shit coming through meets the veteran. They actually start annoying them, and it's probably something that they think about for the rest of their career. How do you deal with them? Do you say, okay, mate, it was nice to meet you. Do you want to just stand over there? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's, it's weirdly, you're as good as the last joke you wrote, yep. and there's people coming up now that are going to be the great. Yep. They're going to be fantastic. And it's that thing of like, the places I try out stuff, if I'm in Los Angeles or New York at the comedy store, or the comedy cellar, like, yeah, you're with some new people, but the new people that are, you know, they've been at it 10 years and they're fucking great. So you get to work with kind of great talent. So selling in the States is unbelievably funny and brilliant, which is freaking going 15 years, but the up and coming people haven't heard of it yet, but it's, they're going to. I'd have more in common with a young kind of up-and-coming comedian than I would from someone of my own generation who's doing a proper job. So there's a great camaraderie to it. Do you enjoy spending time with comedians? Like in your downtime, are you hanging out and mates with a lot of other comedians, or are you do you take a bit of time to just go? I yeah. can get out of this fucking world. No, I, I love it. I love it. I think it's a, there's a there's a weird sense in which comedians are an odd bunch, but we get on with each other pretty well. I think it's because. No one's taking bread from anyone else's table. Like, I can't do what Peter Kay does, and he can't do what Ricky Gervais does, and we can't do what John Bishop does and Sarah Millican. They're all very different. They're all doing their own thing. But you've got lots in common. You've got lots to talk about, and you're funny people. So it, it seems to work out very well. It's not like being an actor. If you're an actor, you're desperate to be James Bond, and someone else gets the role. You're fucking livid. Yeah, yeah. Musicians are the same. They white-hand each other and talk so much shit. 
about each other. There's a lot of frenemies in music. I know it's one of the sort of musicians that know each other. It's that weird sense of, I think it's like, it's a good life lesson just for not people outside of show business of like, if your friend has a success, that's your success, right? And you feel that. You feel like, oh, wow, he mm-hmm. won the thing or mm-hmm. he, he, he got the number one or great, he's the best. He won the trophy. If their success annoys you, you can't hang out with that person. Yeah. You're just not allowed. No. Yeah. Hard no. That's some bullshit. Because if, if you're frenemies, it's just a weird, toxic relationship. Yeah. I do want to ask, you've been headlining for many, many years in the UK. You are, I guess, now considered a celebrity or, you know, comedy royalty, and this would expose you to uh, people that, you know, you make a living out of roasting or just making fun of. What is it like? How do you, I mean, particularly in England where, you know, they have this uh, aristocratic system. You know, in Australia, you can be a multimillionaire and sound like a shearer. But over there, I dare say you've been exposed to a few royals or Jimmy Savills. How do you delve in, in that world? Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose too much sleep out of making jokes about Jimmy Savile. I mean, you're mental. I mean, uh, the only downside to Jimmy Savile, from my perspective, is you know, it's really taken the shine off any prospect of a knighthood for me because Sir Jimmy has lost its charm, hasn't it? As a term, it feels like ah, that's, that's some damaged fucking good. There's no point in even trying now. They're not going to roll the dice again on a listen, deranged comedian. Listen. I'm not. I mean, never mind bumping into people you made a joke about years ago. I mean, I've said things to people's faces. Someone sent me the link to, I did the roast of Rob Lowe and Pete Davidson was there and I, I made a joke about his father and it was pretty stinked and pretty brutal. It's a roast. Fine. Mm-hmm. People can take it. So now you're not too worried about Pete Davidson getting offended at you making fun of Kim Kardashian after having made the joke you've already made. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing I could say about his girlfriend that would be as bad as the thing I said about his father. I said, you know the story of that, right? So, mm-hmm. so Pete's father died on 9-11. He's a firefighter. He went into the building to save people. He's literally a fucking hero. You couldn't, you couldn't, I mean, like if you're writing the film, you couldn't come up with someone who's more of a hero. You know, got up there and said, I'm appalled that people would make jokes about Pete Davidson's father. This isn't, this isn't the roast of Pete Davidson's father. That was in 2001. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, and he's playing the game too. He's in the dark arts as well. I'm sure Pete <laughs> Davidson enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, listen, I, listen, he's a funny boy. A game-recognised game. It's yeah. fine. Well, now this is the bit where and I'm sure this is a part of your career that you enjoy, and we'll let you go because we know you're running a junket out the back of a Lamborghini on the way back from Scarborough. Oh, you know, I'll, ch- I'll chat all day, man. Tell me everything. Oh, sweet. Let's upset your manager. I want to ask about the dummy spits that have happened because that also is a part of your career. I'm not, I'm not so much talking about that health and safety thing at a rodeo that you're talking about with political correctness, but aside from all that, personally, one-on-one, in these roast environments, in these live shows, I know a lot of your audience are thick-skinned or just in person. Do you relish it? Do you think when you've hit that nerve, you go, okay, I've poked the bear and, and uh, I'm going to poke it again? Or how, how do you navigate that game? I think it's less combative than the question suggests because yeah. – it's not a, uh, uh, you know, when you think about what jokes are, they're not, in, in my estimation, they're not ever punching. It's tickling. If the person isn't laughing, if they don't get the joke, I mean, fair enough, if there's a drunk guy at a show or a drunk woman at a show, even better, uh, it's like you might just eviscerate that person and the rest of the audience can laugh and they're not laughing and they get escorted from the building. That occasionally happens. And I won't lie, it's a lot of fun when it does. But more often than not, it's someone with the same sense of humor as you that would love to be up on stage 
and they're, they're trying to say something funny. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's like a fun thing. and People get it. So if someone has a sense of humor failure at one of my shows, like, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I guess they're getting kicked out. And they paid for that experience, too. <laughs> they paid good money to experience it. Yeah, you've got to be careful these days. I mean, I was with Chappelle. I was on stage with Chappelle, literally on the side of the stage, when he got attacked in uh, the Hollywood Bowl. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of extraordinary because it was like, it felt like Will Smith had rung the dinner bell for crazy motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do you think that set a precedent? I, I think it was like, like for a week or two, people kind of thought, oh, right, I guess you can get up and flat people. I think, in all seriousness, to slap Chris Rock is pretty fucking dumb. Mm. Will Smith needs to check himself. He's an actor. He's able to uh, read and recite lines and convince me he's come. I mean, he deserves the Oscar. He's pretending to be a nice guy for 30 fucking years. Uh, Chris Rock is like a fucking philosopher king. He's the greatest stand-up. I mean, he's fucking brilliant. <laughs> Jimmy, I just wanted to ask, I saw a story a little while back about someone at your show had mentioned that you had mentioned that maybe these upcoming tours may be your last tours. Is there an actual sense who, that, you who, know... Who the fuck... Who said that? Someone said that to the BBC what? that you that you threw up that this may you know there may be the last tours coming up with the state of whatever's no. happening. No, 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 you st- no, uh, no. My, my my friend, I've never said that. I will die with my boots on. You can ask the question, but I'll tell you for now, someone's misquoted me on something. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm never. I'm ne- yes. You're dreaming. I'm going to stop. No, my friend. No. The bad news is someone. The same guy that attacked. Dave Chappelle is going to have to do a better job with me. And we made a joke about upsetting Jimmy's manager there by running over 30 minutes, but it seems the manager had the last laugh of everyone and just hung the phone up. So thank you for tuning in. That was a very insightful yarn we had, wasn't it, Wendell? Yeah, yeah. Jimmy's manager essentially cancelled that um, interview by pressing the end button on the phone. The first person to ever silence Jimmy Carr. He's been brought down. They said it couldn't be done. He said it couldn't be done. Cancel culture's out of control. The PC police gone mad. But yes, thank you for joining us, Jimmy Carr, and hopefully see you on tour next year. For anyone listening that likes a cut of that man's jib or is already a avid follower, the tickets are on sale now. Yes, and hopefully he sticks to his word and does come out and have a beer in Batuta and uh, gets around it. Talk to you soon.